It's the Kyle Hyman Show on Redeemer Radio. This is Kyle Hyman, and I'd like to welcome back to the show to talk about science and religion, Dr. Gerard Verschuren. Thanks for being here, doctor. It's my pleasure. Every time we talk to you, it's always fascinating talking about this kind of uh, balance between science and faith and your new book, A Catholic Scientist Proves God Exists, I think is going to be a popular one. When were you convinced that God is real? Early in life. I won't tell you how long ago that is. <laughs> but uh, no, f- very early. But the more I did science, <laughs> the more I started to doubt. That is part of being in academia. They all have their doubts about God, and you can't prove anything, and all that kind of stuff. But the more I heard that, the more I was convinced that they were wrong, and that there is something basically faulty in their reasoning. So um, when I started writing this book, God Exists, I first had to explain that science cannot prove that God exists. They can make it very likely, and that will be my next book, but they can never prove. Science cannot prove anything. I know that sounds very strange to a lot of people. Uh They think that science has proven everything, that there are molecules and ions, and and there is quantum mechanics, but it's not really proof. Uh, So the history of science has shown us many times that things had to be changed completely. The quantum revolution is a good example. Max Planck, who who started that, was told physics was finished, so he didn't have to to study physics anymore. Fortunately, he decided to study physics, (laughs) and he changed it completely. So um, I am very skeptical when people say science can't prove God, and it cannot even disprove God. So I have found another way as a scientist, basically, that you can prove it. Uh, I went through the proofs of God's existence. That they are old, they are from the Middle Ages. But I think in my book, I show people that if you accept the first premise, then you have to accept the conclusion. And the first premise is very evident, very obvious, and uh, I maintain in my book that no one can deny those premises. They allow us to make even everything possible in science. So without them, we can't claim anything. And those basic premises, if anyone believes them, I'm not saying it's a belief, actually, uh, you have to accept them. Otherwise, you can't do anything in life. You can't even do mathematics. You can't even do science. You can't do anything. So that's where my reasoning starts, and that's something I had to learn after I had learned at a young age that God exists. I found another way to make it clear to everyone that God exists with the proofs of God's existence. And if you deny those, then you are either, I say, dumb, or you are unwilling to uh, accept anything that is so obvious. So either way, Take your pick if you don't believe that God exists. So you keep on talking about these proofs that God exists, and then you said that science can't prove anything. So if science doesn't prove things, then what does prove them? The premise that that I meant, let, let me give you an example. Science can say that all iron expands with heat. That is a scientific uh, general statement. 
They did many experiments with it, and each time it expanded, expanded, expanded. If it's the heat, that is what we usually think that makes them expand, but maybe there is something else that we haven't discovered yet. Hmm. But in the principles that I'm talking about, that is not a general statement, but a universal principle. All expanding of iron has a cause. Uh-huh. There is no experiment that can prove that. We assume that, otherwise we can't do experiments. So we are looking for causes. And if someone says expanding of iron doesn't have a cause, then I, I think you need a, a psychiatrist or you need, I, I don't know what you need, uh-huh. but, but, but you need to have to think a little deep. All expanding of iron has a cause. And that's basically what Thomas Aquinas our good old Thomas Saint Thomas Aquinas, what he says, that is a a premise that no one can deny. Mm-hmm. You, you don't have to test more and more cases to find out that everything has a cause. We know that everything has a cause. But Thomas Aquinas is a little more careful. And he says, does everything have a cause? Yeah, everything that came into existence. It could not exist before it existed, of course. If someone says, oh, um, things can generate itself or produce itself, that's nonsense because it would have to exist before it came into existence, which is (laughs) basically absurd. (laughs) So there, there must be a cause for everything that comes into existence. And that's where Thomas Aquinas kicks in. And he says, everything that comes into existence must have a cause. And then he says, such causes cannot run infinitely in infinite regress. But then you don't explain anything. If you say my existence was caused by my parents, and how were they caused? And you go to their parents and their parents and their parents. That is back in time. You can also go back in in levels. You can say, oh, my existence is caused by cells, Mm -hmm. and cells are caused by molecules. And molecules are caused by atoms, and atoms are called by quantum, and all that kind of stuff. But you cannot go on forever, for then you don't explain anything. Then that long chain of explanations is hanging in the air, or it's resting on nothing. Where does the fact come from that parents can generate children? Hmm. What is the cause of that? You can't say the previous parents, but then how was the previous parents Uh caused? How did that one came into existence? So Thomas Aquinas says we cannot go on infinitely for that uh, we we, we get stuck in our own reasoning. So there must be what he calls a first cause, a cause that is above everything, and that, that explains everything in a different way. Science explains everything what Thomas Aquinas calls secondary causes. Secondary cause causes another one. But where do those secondary causes come from? The first cause. Uh The first cause explains everything, and that first cause must be a necessary being, which does not need a cause for itself, because it is a pure existence. And pure existence doesn't come into existence. So it's, uh, it doesn't need a cause. So some people say, yeah, but if Thomas Aquinas is right, what, what caused God? You know, like kids, they, they keep asking all the time, and what causes this and what causes uh-huh. that? That's infinite regress. So you cannot go on forever that way. 
there must be a cause that explains the whole series of secondary causes. Who? That was a mouthful, wasn't it? <laughs> I love it. That's just one of the arguments that you have in the book. And I think there's five of them. Is that right? Correct. Yeah. At least five. There are more. I limited myself to five because they are all kind of different. Yeah. So, do you find that the scientific community of which you're a part, does that tend to be hostile to these teachings, these beliefs, and the fact of Christianity in general? Oh, yes, they are. Just think of the Hawking, Mm -hmm. the man who we know from the wheelchair, and and he died recently. He was a, a great physicist, but not a great philosopher. He says, oh, the universe causes itself. Hmm. Nothing can cause itself to exist, as I just said. If it would have to uh, cause itself, it had to exist before it came into existence. So I I say to Hawking, you may be a great scientist, but you don't use your brain enough. You have to see that your reasoning is wrong. So he basically rejects a first cause. And other scientists do too, especially in the biological camp. They say, yeah, but if uh, everything needs a cause, then who caused that first cause? And I think I just explained that the first cause doesn't need a cause mm-hmm. because it's existence itself. So they think there is a flaw in those proofs of God's existence. But their flaws don't make any sense. And besides, I always say if there is someone who thinks that there is something wrong with those arguments, that doesn't make those arguments faulty. And they are the problem and not the arguments for God's existence. Mm-hmm. So scientists don't easily accept those things. And I think basically the main reason is they don't like the world with God in the picture. Hmm. They resent that somehow. And unfortunately, that, that happens a lot. So they don't really like there is a God in the picture because they cannot prove God. They cannot test God in the laboratory. They cannot even come up with an ingenious experiment to trap God in the lab. God is not even a hypothesis. Hmm. Like everything else in science is hypothesis. And we either confirm it or we make it more unlikely. We can never prove the hypothesis is true. We can never disprove it's false. But God is not a hypothesis. As I just showed in the five proofs, God is a necessary conclusion if all the other assumptions or premises have been accepted. And everyone can accept them. You don't have to be a Catholic, you don't have to be a Christian to follow those arguments. As uh, Thomas Aquinas always says, what I came as a conclusion to is what we call God. Is that the God of religion? Yes and no. At least the God of religion is not less than the God of the proofs. But the God of religion is more than the God of our proofs of God's existence. And that more is, for instance, that God is a triune God, three persons in one, mm-hmm. that God is incarnate, that is not in the proofs of God's existence, of course. Have you ever convinced somebody, or had somebody convert or, or convince somebody that... God exists, one of your colleagues? Oh, yes. I had uh, students in my classes that I, I, I convinced 
uh, I don't know how long it lasted for. I don't stay in contact forever. Uh-huh. But uh, I know at, at that point it worked. Uh, even to give a more personal example, one of my son-in-laws, I, I think I convinced him recently that those proofs of God's existence are very powerful and that he had no chance to refute them. Uh, not because I said it, but because Thomas Aquinas said it. Uh-huh. So it's a very powerful thing. And I hope that the book that is called God Exists will prove and convince to many people that these proofs are very powerful. Uh, it's the power that science does not have. Much more. It's much more powerful. It's my dream, my hope, and my belief that uh, the book will convince many more people. But they have to be willing to read the book. Mm-hmm. That's always the problem. Yeah. As, as, as Thomas Aquinas said, the unbelief is in the will, not in the mind. Ah. If the will is not ready to even pick up the book, <laughs> to keep it with this book, does it sound like I'm trying to sell the book? <laughs> no, but I'm saying you have to be willing to at least listen to those arguments. And sure. I used in my book... Uh, a question and answer format. The questions are the usually the skeptical people. They say, yeah, but what about this and what about that? And I think I give them answers that say, yeah, your objection was not worth as much as you thought it was. It didn't really have meat around it. To answer your question, yes, I have convinced people. And I'm sure the book is going to do more of that. Well, and I think it'll empower other people, too, whenever they get in these conversations, know how to defend and how to respond to different arguments that God doesn't exist. This is going to be a great resource. So where can people get a copy of the book? The book was published by Sophia Institute Press. So if you go to the website Sophia Institute Press, you will find it there. Uh, Amazon has it. Barnes & Noble has it. And you can find it on my website. Uh, where do we come from all separated by dashes that is my website and that has all my books including this latest one Catholic Scientist Proofs That God Exists Alright and it's really a great book it's got not only these arguments but a lot more that we didn't get into so people should check it out thank you so much Dr. Gerard Vershuren again for joining us on the show Thank you for having me on the show